this morning, uh, if you want to open up your word, uh, your Bible, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. While you're doing that, uh, I want to specifically welcome, uh, joining us digitally, uh, our Marines, uh, the 3rd Platoon of Charlie Company from Camp Geiger. Uh, they are tuning in each and every week. Uh, what do we, uh, how connection we have to them? Our very own uh, Nate Vanderwert, uh, Mr. Private First Class, Nate Vanderwert, uh, is a part of that company, and him uh, and his other Marines join us live. So we're glad, we are glad to have you with us this morning uh, as we open up God's Word. Let us do that together, actually, really quick. Let's stop and let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can open up your word. We thank you, Lord, for technology, that we can be joined with other Christians in other parts of the country. Lord, that we can open up together, be connected by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that your spirit would stir up us in this morning, your word, as we get ready to open it, Father. You will encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You'll convict us where we need to be convicted, Father. We will see and have a greater appreciation for your glory in our lives and your call on our lives to live out the mission you have put us on. Father, I pray we'd be fired up this morning. We'd be challenged, Lord. We'd be driven, Father. We'd be convicted. All the things that we need to be obedient to your call in our lives. Lord, I give you praise, Father, that we can open and talk about your word together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that ministers to us. May we never take it for granted. We pray these things in Jesus' almighty name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, hopefully you opened up. We'll have slides up there if you don't have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, grab one out of the seat back in front of you. It's a free gift to you guys. Uh, we are going to be in Acts 8. We are continuing a series in the book of Acts that we started all the way back in 2021, two years ago. Now, in case you don't remember, Acts is written by Luke. He's written by Luke. Luke was a physician in the time of Jesus. This is the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. You guys are sharp. You guys are theologians. I love it. Now, Acts is historical literature. Remember, the Bible is made up of 66 books, and they're all different types of literature, poems and songs and prophetic uh, and some, uh, sometimes laws and teaching, the, the, the gospels, the stories of Jesus, and historical literature like we see in Acts. It is a history of the early church and how they fulfill their, their, their purpose to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, when we first started this series, we covered the first seven chapters of Acts. We saw the birth of the church in Jerusalem. We, we saw the church go and, and, and preach the gospel boldly. We saw them grow in fellowship together, break bread together. We saw them feed and take care of the poor together. And we saw the power, at Holy, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in really mighty and new ways. And because of all this, we saw civil and religious authorities begin to take notice. And the Christians began to face persecution because all these leaders did not like what they were doing. They actually thought that these Christians were opposed to God. And it reached this bullying point that we talked about in Acts 7 when we were in here last time, where there was the persecution, the trial, and the death of Stephen, one of the early deacons of the church. Now as we transfer to chapter 8, which will, and we'll go all the way to chapter 12, not today, but over the next few months, we're going to see the early church face even more persecution. We're going to see how the church responds to it, how God worked through it, and what it teaches us today as a modern-day church here in New Jersey. 
If you are able this morning, you don't have to, but if you're able, would you stand this morning as I read this first section of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8? Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's recap what we just read. We see verse 1 of chapter 8. Recap what I've already told you. That it was Saul who approved the execution of Stephen when he was stoned to death. Now Saul we also know as anybody? Paul. Two for two. Two for two. Paul who wrote a majority, I would say, of the New Testament letters. And so obviously he's going to have a change of heart. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But for now, he is a leader in the persecution of Christians in Jerusalem. And what we see here is Jesus' prediction, his, his prophetic voice coming true, as he said in John 15, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. And Luke says that, Paul, that Saul was literally ravaging, ravaging the church. In the Greek word here, it's lemeno, and it means to utterly destroy, to rip apart, to bring to ruins. And so Paul is going house to house because that's where the early church met, in houses. And he's literally dragging people off to prison for being a Christian. So how do the Christians respond to this? Luke says that those who were scattered, which means they were on the run, continued the work of preaching the gospel. Now, at first glance... You cannot see it. And there are many times in my life where I read the book of Acts and I just read this through my little Bible in a year and I missed it. But when you think about it and you take time to meditate on it, what you are seeing here in this perse persecution of the early church is one of the greatest events in church history, right here in all of church history. Before he ascended, Jesus said this to his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now what you see here in this persecution, this is why it's such a big deal, it is helping to fulfill the promise that Christ made that Christians were going to be witnesses to the end of the earth. What we see here in this persecution, it's, it's, uh, it's representing like that important, important part of physics. If Kevin was here, he appreciate this as our local physics teacher. The theory of th theory, um, thermodynamics. The greater the heat, 
the greater the expansion. I know that every summer because I can shut my doors, my son's door in the, in the winter when it comes to summer, shh, 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 can't get it through. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. And that is what you see here in this persecution. The heat's on them and they begin to spread. So I love and I am inspired as a Christian, and I hope for those of you sitting here as Christians are inspired by how they responded. And I don't mean the persecution part. That was, that's sad. I don't even, can't imagine what that would be like. I can, to have these families sitting there and watching their loved ones literally dragged away to prison, not knowing what is going to happen to them, it is heartbreaking to think about. What I mean is I'm inspired how Christians responded despite the persecution that they were facing. They could have went into hiding. They could have been quiet. Let's just keep it quiet until the heat dies down. Now they did disperse, but when they dispersed, they kept spreading the gospel. Acts 8.4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They could have just been refugees. They could have just been complaining about how they didn't have a home. But they became missionaries to an entire group of people. And because of this, we see the gospel spread like ever before. And my, my prayer in this message is like, Christians, for those of you, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, you are going to be challenged by this message and how they responded. And you're going to look in your lives, how, how, how can I respond in the same way? For those of you who are not Christian, I'm hoping today that you're going to get a look at what a Christian should look like. Because not every Christian who says they are a Christian is really a Christian. Sometimes they're just giving everybody else a bad name. Sometimes a Christian does not always live like a Christian should live. And so what I'm hoping you today to see today is this is what a Christian should look like. This is what it means to represent Christ. And I hope that it will bring you into a closer understanding of who God is and what Christ has done for you. Now, through all of this suffering, this persecution, I'm not sure that anybody would have been able to see what we can see today, that this is one of the greatest moments in church history. Like when, when families and children are, are seeing their parents dragged off to prison sitting there going, like, what happened to this victorious Christ? Over 500 people saw him. He raised up into the sky. Went to, I mean, where, where's the power of his resurrection anymore? Why is God just inactive? Even just dormant Why we are suffering? Questions probably many of us, if not all of us, have asked at one time or another. Where is God at? But we have the gift of hindsight, Right? we can look back and see what God was doing. And there's an important principle that you have to understand if you were ever going to be an effective Christian in spreading the gospel. And it's this. Sometimes, oftentimes, suffering plays a role in somebody else's salvation. Your suffering often plays a role in somebody else's salvation. Notice I didn't say your prosperity, your good health, your riches, your life of ease. Suffering 
I mean, think about Jesus. Why do we sing all the things that we just sang? Why do we sing blessed assurance? Why do we sing you are worthy of it all? Why do we sing I will praise you? Because he was literally willing to suffer on the cross. His, our salvation comes out of his suffering. In fact, it's one of the things that draws us to him, that even though we did not know him, nor did we want him, we were happy living life our own way, being our own God, he still died for us. He still suffered for us. And this is one of the reasons I think suffering makes such an impact. It it makes you stand out. Jesus stands out different from all religions in the world because of his willingness to suffer and sacrifice himself for us. And I think in the same way, Christ is most clearly displayed to others when things are not going well in our lives, when, we, when the heat is on us, when we are suffering. It's not when we have all the things that the world runs after. It's when we resist all the things that the world runs after. They see, us, they see us take on the pressure. They see Christians take on the persecution. And we, and we stand there with our heads held high, with love, not hate in our hearts, proclaiming the gospel. That says something. I mean, think of all the early church leaders that were murdered for their faith. That says something to us. Man, these guys literally were willing to die. That knew Jesus, they were literally willing to die, be tortured, and be murdered for the faith that they're spreading. I don't know about you, but if I made up a lie and you were like, you either tell me it's a lie or I'm going to kill you or torture you, I'd be like, I'm just kidding. But these early believers were like, you kill me. Kill me. I will not deny Christ. And in the same way, when we do not deny Christ or how he calls us to act, behave, and talk, and and, and live, it says something. People go, man, why why do they stick with Jesus? Why would they act like this? They're surrounded by all these people that are horrible to him, and they still keep showing love. They keep speaking his truth. They don't back down, but they love those around them. Why? Why would they do that? And some of you, you know what this is like. You'll be in a workplace situation or somewhere out there, and people will joke and and, and make fun, especially guys will make fun of your faith. And then, you know, you don't let it get to you. You don't get angry. You continue to love them. And sure enough, sooner or later, one of them is going to come up to you and be like, man, I'm going through something really hard will you pray for me? As I said in a previous sermon, actually when we were in Acts earlier, opposition to the gospel brings opportunity for the gospel. It is an opportunity to show the world how Jesus is different. In Philippians, Paul says this, when he's in prison, he says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying this from prison. The North African Christian writer 
who was alive in the, the second and third century, Tertullian. He said, when addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, he said, you can kill us, you can torture us, you can grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we'll grow. The seed of the gospel is the blood of Christians. And you see this. It is amazing to look at church history to see how persecution has promoted the gospel, not quelched it. If you study church history at all, Nero, the Roman emperor, he went after the church. Diocletian, who came after him, was even worse. And yet you look today, you go visit Rome, and what do you find? You find wreckage, you find remains, you find a column, you find a viaduct. You go anywhere and you find the church of Jesus Christ. I think this is what Jesus partly meant when he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Amen? Amen. So persecution, it is not a threat to the gospel. And this is good to remind us because I don't like persecution. I don't want to be persecuted. But it changes our mindset when we understand that it's not a threat to the gospel. It often helps the gospel. What I think is a threat to the gospel is the exact opposite. Comfort and ease, prosperity and safety. I think those are the things that cause tremendous amounts of inertia in the church. It's too often in the, in the Western culture, American church, we have it so easy. And so we produce Christians that are weak, they're, they're apathetic, they're, they're self-centered, they're preoccupied with their own life and their own security. It's like Jesus talked about in his parable of the four soils. What's the, the, what's the very last soil he talks about? The last bad soil. Mark 4 Verse 18. And he said, The other ones are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires for other things enter in, and it chokes the world, the word, and it proves unfruitful. Prosperity is the greatest threat to the church because Christians, we just get too comfortable. As a pastor, I know that if it is a certain degree of heat or if it's a certain degree of cold, I will have less people in the church. As a pastor, I know that if it's raining, I will have less people in the church. Why? Because those things make it less comfortable to come to church. Even though scripture says, come together. I know that if I look, for those of you who use, read your Bible on your phone. If I look at most of your phones and I look at where it tells you how much time you spend on different things, the amount of time that you spend on your social media or your shopping or your Amazon sites is gonna be far above the time you spend in your Bible. Comfort, affluence, our prosperity, it is the greatest threat to the gospel in this context. We get too comfortable and we don't want to risk anything. I think it's one of the ways that the enemy works. Gets us so distracted, so comfortable 
that we forget about our college Christians. I think we as Christians should pray for a greater desire to be scattered. A greater desire to be sent. How, many, how often do you pray this? Lord, send me where you need me to go. Scatter me where I need to be for your kingdom. How often do you pray that? I do not pray it enough, I'll tell you that much. In the beginning of James, James says, Christians are exiles. Peter calls us the same thing. Colossians 1, Paul says, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So what does this mean? It means, as one pastor said so well once, the moment that you become a Christian, the moment you say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in you as my Savior and as my Lord, the moment you understand the gospel, you believe it, and you repent of your old way of life, you choose to follow Christ, you're not where you're from anymore. You're not from New Jersey anymore. You're not from Washington anymore or Indiana or wherever else you might call home. It's not your home anymore because you're no longer a citizen of these places. So you don't, and what that means is you don't have to live in, in Indiana to be happy or you don't have to live in Washington to be happy anymore because the Bible says you have been scattered theologically. You've been scattered spiritually. And I think sometimes, because we love comfort, I love comfort, God has to scatter you physically for you to get that in your mind. There's some of you, I'm betting that if you had to leave your town, your hometown, if you had to leave your state, if you had to leave your house, you'd be crushed. This is my, my home. There's some of you on the flip side, you, you, you think, man, I gotta get out of here, especially in New Jersey. I gotta get away from these taxes. I need to get out of here. Anytime we allow thoughts like this to set in or we allow ourselves to say these kind of statements, we are forgetting that we are citizens of heaven. So wherever you are, it's not your home anymore. And when we realize this, we realize we can live anywhere. We can live anywhere because anywhere that I go is not my home. It doesn't matter. Until I breathe my last breath and the God, the God of heaven calls me home, nothing else is my home. It's just my mission field. Wherever you live right now, it is your mission field until God sends you to a new one. And you're okay with that because it's not your home. I'll say it again, a constant prayer. If you sit here as a Christian, be, Lord, send me where I need to go for your kingdom. Scatter me where I need to be to share your gospel. Amen, church? Amen. Now, you may be wondering, if you're sitting there and go, man, I don't face any of this persecution. I don't face any of this stuff. I don't, I don't relate to this. 
means a couple things, possibly. One, it means you live in a different time and culture. This is very important for us to understand, especially over the elections and the pandemic. I find, and it annoys me to no end, I'm just going to be straight on with you, that Christians love to throw around persecution way too freely in this country. We love to play the persecution card. Let me read something for you. In the last year, there have been over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. We have seen 6,000 Christians murdered for their faith. We have seen over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings literally attacked and burned. We have seen 4,800 Christians detained in prison without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Now, if that happened to one of you guys and you haven't told me, I'd love to hear it afterwards. But I doubt it. Listen, American Christians, we may miss the days where we had a monopoly on the the public conversation of morality and politics. It may not be like it used to, but we cannot mistake that with the level of persecution that Christians around the world are facing for their beliefs. We know nothing of it, at least not yet. But in our individual lives, if you are really living a life that is focused on spreading the gospel, you are going to face pressure. And pressure technically is a form of persecution. In 2 Timothy 3.12 says, we should expect this. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you are seriously trying to reach people for Jesus and you're trying to talk to your friends, your family, your neighbors, fellow students about Christ, you're going to feel some pushback. You're going to feel some heat. Let me ask you this morning, where do you feel heat for your faith? Where do you feel the heat? Where do you feel the pressure right now? Now, if you sit there and you can't think of any place that you're feeling the heat, that you're feeling the pressure, It doesn't mean that you're not spreading the gospel, but it might mean that you're not spreading the gospel. If you can't think of a place where you're you're feeling pressure and there's some tension, a little anxiety almost, and, 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 and some eagerness, and some pushback, you need to ask yourself, Lord, am I being obedient to my call to tell other people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ? One pastor said this, he goes, if the gospel that we share is not convicting enough to make some people angry and uncomfortable, is it convicting enough to bring them to salvation? In other words, when we share the gospel, are we telling people about their need for Jesus? That their sin separates them literally from God. If you are preaching gospel, you're going to feel the heat in your life. And I know for some of you, this is very intimidating. You're like, I'm not 
an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. You read verses like Philip. He healed people. He seemed to cast out demons. And you're like, I cannot do that stuff. Well, first of all, you can do anything that God gives you the power to do. But I'm not asking you to do this stuff. Okay? And we don't really have time to go into talking about healing people and casting out demons. Maybe I should do one-off sermons on those because those are pretty big topics and there's a lot of misinformation out there. But for today, I want you to focus, don't focus just on Peter, focus on the people around him. Look, look at this in verse four. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the gospel. It doesn't say those who were scattered were healing people and casting out demons. It just says they're preaching the gospel. Then you go to verse six and it says, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Luke only talks about Philip doing these miracles. One of the original deacons of the church, now an evangelist. And these miracles that he did, they had purpose. They attested to the validity and the authority of the message that he was doing. Just like Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Coming out of the gates. He was doing miracles, getting people's attention. In the same way, God's vouching for Philip's preaching. Today, it is the word of God that vouches for your preaching. You're sharing the gospel. It's not miracles. Because God, because people can have miracles performed for themselves and still not find Christ. So don't get caught up in miracles and all of that. They don't save souls. Only the gospel saves souls. And that you are equipped and have the ability to do because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead enables you to share God's word. Now, it may look different than the way I say it or do it, and that's okay. We all have different personalities, different ways of going about it. That's what you're called to do, the gospel. Go read all the letters. Go from Romans and to Jude. It talks about, it focuses on, its main goal is you spreading the gospel, telling people about their need for God. You're called to preach the gospel. And this means you gotta know the gospel. You have to be able to tell somebody. In fact, right now, if somebody were to come to you and they say, what's the gospel? What's the good news of Jesus? What would you say? Do you know what you would say to them? If you do not know what you would say to them, you need to put in the effort to figure out how to share the gospel in your own words. If someone were to say to you, what's God done in your life for you? Why are you so excited about this Jesus guy? What would you say to them? Would you be able to tell them, this is who I was before Jesus and this is who I am now? If you can't, you have to put in the effort to prepare yourself for those things. And we can help. We'd love to help. Help people with this all the time. But with that said, you shouldn't wait until you have all your ducks in a row to share Jesus with people. I, it's like, I've told you this before. It's like, I don't, when I tell somebody to go to the, my doctor, I don't describe every single way that he healed me and that he will heal them. I said, look, I went to my doctor. He got me all better. You gotta go see him. And that's the way that's we start with Jesus. We said, man, Jesus changed my life. I need you to come check him out. And sometimes you don't have answers. That's okay. You know what you do when you don't have answers? You go look them up. Remember Heather and I were talking about this week. She had somebody come to her, and she like didn't know the answer to something. 
And so she went and looked it up so she would be equipped the very next time. It's okay to say, I don't know when you share the Christ. You're not God. You are not gonna have all the answers. That's okay. God doesn't give us all the answers. There's this balance of us doing the work to prepare ourselves to spread the gospel and yet going even when we're not fully prepared. Have you ever noticed, man, I, I, went, to, I, went, to, uh, I went to pastor school, right? I went to a university in Seattle, got uh, two degrees and a minor. It sounds really cool, but the secondary degree was like only a two extra classes. It just looks cool. Um, and I learned some great stuff. I studied some great stuff. Some Greek, some Hebrew, Old Testament, New Testament, blah, blah, blah. And then I became a pastor. I had no idea what I was doing. Most of the time, I still don't know what I'm doing. I just fake it until I make it. But it was once I started walking the walk as a pastor that I learned and I grew, and it's the same in sharing the gospel. Start walking, and you'll learn and you'll grow as you submit to the Lord, as you put in the work. There is enough people in this room right now to change this area for Christ. I'll tell you, listen, we, I love our, our outreach events like ALF and stuff like that. Love them. I love to, to put a good foot forward for God's church. But when I look through the seven, almost seven years next month I've been here, the majority of people who have come to this church, they've come because somebody else has invited them. That means you guys. You are the outreach. You are the most effective outreach this church will ever have. You are the most effective outreach this kingdom has ever had. And I know some of you are like, I'm too screwed up to outreach. I'm too messed up. Listen, the more messed up you are, the better you are. Because people look at me like, man, if God can clean this dude up or this woman up, there's hope for me. Can I get an amen? Amen. Dom, did you amen so loud just so your wife wouldn't for you? Listen, when we come together, I love this. I love coming together. But like, as someone once said, like, we come together for service, but we really understand this is like a service station. This is where we come to get filled up. This is where we come to get excited. This is where we come to get tools. But our job is to go out there and take the gospel to rescue the perishing, no matter what. And then when the pressure comes, it's not fun. We don't enjoy it, but we're like, you know what? God's gonna use this. And when we're willing to have that mindset, it brings joy. Remember the end of Acts 8? What does it say? Everybody had joy because they were preaching the gospel and Philip was coming. They had joy. And if you do the same, you will bring joy. And you will have joy. There's not much greater joy in knowing that you've brought somebody closer to God. That's why like in Acts 5.41, the, the apostles, they got beat up for Jesus. They got whipped. And it says when they were leaving the council, after the council says, knock it off or you're gonna get more, it says they were joyful. They were joyful because they suffered dishonor for the name of Christ. And in the same way, when you go into your schools or into your job or into your family or into your town and you're willing to be courageous and you're willing to share the gospel, no matter what comes your way, you will find joy. 